Hello, welcome to episode... Oh, we're on episode 8. That happened Damn. fast. <laughs> I know. Welcome to episode 8 of Stan Ontology, a K-pop uh, track breakdown podcast. I'm Claudia, I use she, her pronouns. And hey, I'm Regs or Michael, I use they, them. And today we are talking about TT by Twice. We are finally, finally, finally covering a Twice track. Which I've had people ask, when are you going to get around to doing twice? Hell yeah. <laughs> we finally there. Yeah. Ooh. Da, 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 ooh. Um, well, actually, actually, it was likey likey, but ah, <laughs> uh, fair. I, yeah. I mean, people are allowed their favorites. We we picked this track, so yeah. <sighs> so Ugh. as as with always, we're gonna start with a bit of the bio. So um, yeah, they are a JYP group. They are, I think, the first JYP group we're, t- we're talking about, isn't it? Isn't that right? Uh, yeah, it looks like it. Yep, um, sure is. JYP uh, being the sort of like singular project of uh, Park Jin Young, uh, one of the like mm-hmm. scions of the K-pop industry, who turned JYP as a label into one of the canonical big three alongside SM and YG. Um, Although I believe right now that spot is being contested by Big Hit because BTS, which we'll get to again, I promise. <laughs> yeah, Big Hit of managed to use up somehow both. YG is easily the one that's most scandal-ridden right now, so... um. If there's one that's going to drop out the top three, it's first YG, but also like mm. b- um, the, uh, <laughs> BTS are big enough to use up pretty much everyone right now. So mm-hmm. it's h- hardly, a, hardly a singular occurrence. So yeah, um, they are, JYP is like the arch pop group in my head. Um, like SM clearly like has dominated in many ver- various ways, but um, for some reason, JYP sticks out as the one that's like the most... Bargain basement, straightforward. We make pop music um, in the uncomplicated way that wants to sell ungodly amounts of records. Uh, and, also, um, you're gonna have to edit this back in. Apparently, we're talking out of uh, our asses. It's the Big Four now, and the Big Four are SM JYP still there. Um, YG plummeted because of the scandal thing, but it's now SM JYP CJ, which is like jellyfish. Uh-huh swings don't highlight like a lot of smaller groups together and then big hit yeah especially after they bought pleaders yeah so cj's the fascinating one for me because cj started out primarily as like chebol owner of like food industry and real estate and then also media channels and then a record label which is a very interesting way of doing things well then granted again just for the record Luna's parent company is an arms manufacturer. Not that outlandish. We we can keep coming back to that one just to laugh at it. But yes, um, CJ. Oh, CJ run Mnet. Yeah, it's they okay. run the biggest media company in Korea and one of the most dominant in like K-pop and Korean entertainment exports yeah. around the world. Okay, yeah, they do they do most of the shows basically and uh, <laughs> yes. award shows and stuff. So okay, that makes sense. Sorry. 
Where were we? That's a very reasonable digression. Um, so yeah, so just to add, like the vague history of um, who JYP has had on its on its books, right? Um, right. The sort of biggest acts are who would we say are the biggest acts like um, Rain. I think probably sticks out. God, mm-hmm. Wonder Girls, who we'll be talking about, I think next week. Yeah. Um, two a.m. and two p.m. Both of them, indeed. Yes. Um, Miss A, who are like a personal favorite of mine, who I really, really love. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of get to their current roster, which is headlined by Twice, Got Seven, Mm -hmm. um, and then two newer groups, Stray Kids and Itzy. Yeah. Um, So yeah, uh, in in my head at least, like very much like the most straightforward. We make pop music. We chase the chase the cutting like present day trends and make stuff that is indomitably catchy and like. Mm-hmm. If you were trying to stereotype super simple, all that stuff, um, it would be under JYP. With the with the caveat, again, that simple in this context in no way means bad. It's pop. No, of, of course, of course. It's pop music. Simple is, you know, right. I mean, in some ways, exactly where you want to be. <laughs> and and again, these, with pick tracks we actually really like. So, um, well, broadly at least. <laughs> So, like, clearly they're doing some really good stuff if, um, if we're coming back to them and saying they both need to be understood as well as celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, who are Twice? So they are a uh, girl group, a nine-member girl group who debuted in 2015. Yeah, the, the method of their debuting, I think this is the first of, for the groups we've been talking about, but they debuted through a competition survival show, kind of, I guess... If you are unfamiliar, American Idol, but, you know, not American. Um, um, X Factor being another of the examples. Again, like... Oh, sorry. Like, even if you've never really followed one, like, the format should be pretty familiar. Essentially a televised singing, usually, competition. Uh, and then at the end of the week, uh, sorry, the public are given a week to vote to submit votes for who their favorites are. And then at the end of the week, whoever's the least popular or whoever fails, whichever competition shows criteria is eliminated. Um, and you kind of go on and on until you get a final and the winner gets a prize. And this prize might've been anything from like a, a, a recording contract with a big label, or, you know, in this case, debuting as a girl group as part of this new girl group. Yeah. Absolutely. And a thing that we will talk at a much later date about is K-pop sort of explosion of this. Um, yeah. It sort of happened a f- quite a few years after maybe 2018 was when it really uh, Took off. kicked off with the Produce series. Mm-hmm. However, the like the there are a bunch of uh, groups, I think Vix is the other one that comes to mind, that um, mm-hmm. went through these sort of much more tightly managed survival shows where like it was all um trainees who were within a within a label already who were all competing to be to about whether they would debut or not but the like answer to who was actually going to debut was sort of already decided and the the survival show was really just like a pr exercise to figure out who would take what role uh can we build up a public profile can we build some stakes and drama into the into the formation of the group yeah we should we should mention like the survival show that uh, the kind of proto twice was on 16, it was called 16, um, was all JYP girl group trainees. Everybody knew they were about to debut a girl group. Um, it was like entirely in-house and 
like Reg says, like it is largely a way to drum up publicity around their they're called rookies or trainees, right? Uh, which is like a thing all the big companies tend to do, like the, because they do follow predictable cycles of when new groups are going to be debuted. Um, and of course, they will release news about that. Fans and fan groups will kind of speculate on who in their more well-known trainee roster might be part of that group. There's some, usually some level of pre-debut hype marketing to, to just basically to try to ensure the debut goes well, because these are expensive things for the company to invest in. Yeah, totally. And I think it's it's notable that like the expectation for when groups are at their most successful might have moved up in the last few years, that more groups are very successful very early in their debut cycle and careers yeah i don't think that's a universal thing obviously like groups come out of nowhere and like build long time over time all the time but like you've seen this with blackpink you've seen it to some degree with twice i think you've definitely seen it with itzy who've debuted in this last year that right. um instead of like that slow build it was just humongous debuts that like take over the landscape that have become much more prevalent over the last few years i feel mm-hmm. um but yeah so yeah Going back to Twice, um, we, we mentioned this whole thing just because originally 16 was supposed to produce a seven-member girl group, uh, but one of the members uh, stayed on because uh, she, she was the most popular, Tsuyu, uh, who, who basically was the audience pick, and then their ninth member, Momo, was added by Mr. Park himself, because basically I, I think the official line is like oh she's a really good performer and she'll round out the group but also like it does sort of point to how these part this is a particular kind of competition show which is very tightly managed <laughs> yeah as opposed to the other t- other sort of um competition show which is also tightly managed but for corrupt and like <laughs> yeah it like subtle in like supposedly duplicitous ways rather than explicit obvious and yeah like highly corporatized ways a season two preview um, <laughs> yeah season two preview of the fate of producers as a, as a franchise yeah but yeah so twice was born debuted in 2015 with uh, uh with like ooh ah um mm-hmm. which is a cool debut track i really like it um mm-hmm. very very much in the like we presented the um badass to um cutesy scale what um uh, in the last few episodes Mm -hmm. and uh twice very much fit as as like a latter-day girls generation into the very very much maximal cute end of the scale yeah that is where they've lived and made their money yeah it's also worth saying that they're very active in japan like we've mentioned that k-pop is very rarely confined to korea and one of the kind of like uh, I, I want to say, like, pre this, like, 2016 cutoff point that we kind of accidentally created, like, uh, second generation K-pop, I feel, was very, very, very invested in establishing a foothold for K-pop in Japan. And you kind of see the results of it now, where, like, most of these new uh, K-pop groups that have debuted around the mid-teens um, have significant Japanese followings. Twice is like twice is like even within that more active, I think, than the usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think exactly that. That's exactly right. And there's always the like, like base level pop analysis of like in some way, 
twice as a group seems really amenable to a Japanese market because it fits the like not stereotype the sort of like archetype of the the like the cutesy girl group that is very familiar within J-pop and that got sort of imported to produce them the the first initial attempts at what a K-pop girl group is like. Mm-hmm. Well, also a non-significant portion of uh, Twice's members are Japanese. Oh yeah, that's also true. <laughs> yeah. Um, Non-insignificant, sorry. Uh, yeah. In that case, yeah, like having put them in that frame of the like the post-girls generation group. That's sort of what they're here to sort of express at this point in the timeline. Um, Mm -hmm. We've gone through a really long period of evolution between G G coming out in the... uh, 2010. In the year uh, 2010. And six years later, TT comes out in 2016. And sort of like, I think at least marks a sort of divisional point, or not a divisional point, a sort of uh, arrival or a statement of the like long development that girl groups have gone through between that sort of second and third generation and the sort mm-hmm. of like world of girl groups that we're living in now. Right. Cause again, 2016 is the year of monster. It's the year of one of these nights. It's the year of whistle. Uh, we've been talking about 2016 a lot. Yeah. Because it seems to be one of those like, okay, it's not exactly what's right happening in the last six, 12 months. But it sort of like typifies the sort of like space, the the space of late that we're working within. And to be fair, I, there's probably some personal bias going in here because if we both got into K-pop with Danger, which was what 2015, something like that, yeah. It's like the year out, like yeah. Then this is the year after that when we pay attention. Yeah, we start expanding our horizons, figure out what's <laughs> yeah. what, all that stuff. Yeah. But again, I think we're making decent, defensible arguments for why this stuff is important or represented. I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, TT is, um, we are kind of positioning it as a continuation of what G is trying to do. And it is definitely another, like, first love, why won't you notice me, slash, like, when my crush walks by, I feel giddy and scared and elated and nervous all at once. Like, that's, those are the emotions, those are the emotional spaces it kind of plays within. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and again, again, much like G, we start, we have that kind of like, the the impression is one of like giddiness and playfulness and sort of this kind of, I would say almost like a playful nervousness, honestly. Yeah, totally, totally. The sort of like anxious, anxious excitement that. Right. And to make it explicit, the title TT refers to the text emoji TT, which is representing a crying face yeah because like the the top bar is the eyes and then the the vertical is the tears coming down yeah <laughs> yeah the, the perfect trying to explain an emoji on a resolutely audio medium uh yeah i'm trying yeah <laughs> um it's obvious if you watch the dance and like that is a big part of it we'll get around to it but you watch their their dance and the chorus you see the move they do and it's like oh yeah that's obvious exactly and and like this it, it's absolutely a continuum that like gg was a it's not it's not gg it's just g oh no yeah but the um g has that like onomatopoeia of like that's both a vague expression of the emotion as well as a lyric in the track and that the point dance happens at this point and tt has reached the point where it's uh combined all of them so tt is both the emotional sentiment as like embodied in the emoji and the Mm -hmm. point dance and the lyric that gets sung at that point in the track Yeah. 
it's the perfect encapsulation of this like perfectly packaged combo hook of um, dance, lyric, emotional sentiment for the track. Mm. And hell, like we're, we're reaching a point in our lives where you can do that with an emoji. You can literally do crying face emoji as a track. Um, so yeah, that's twice as a group and TT as a track. Well, this is a time where you tell everybody about their, um, their kind of twice as formula for success and the particular way in which they like to approach different music forms. I say you specifically because I don't know a lot about twice. (laughs) So I'm here as an audience surrogate for anyone who doesn't. No much. The only things I knew about Twice uh, prior to this was, gosh, they sure do a lot of music in Japan. Because for the longest time, you could only get their Japanese releases on Spotify or whatever. Yep. Because of label arrangements. And the other thing, the only other thing I knew about Twice is like, they have really catchy meme dances. <laughs> Those are the two things I know about Twice. Yeah, that's. So join. I mean, like, join me on a learning adventure this week. Yeah. So I think it's sort of worth like. Twice is definitely developed as a group. I think they've definitely changed and matured slightly from what they originally appeared as. And, like, they have grown more towards the ability to balance themselves on that sex, uh, sexy badass to, to cute schoolgirl uh, binary that we've presented. <laughs> However, like, how they did the cute early years was really notable in that their first three singles are, like, Ua. <laughs> Cheer up. And all of them have this incredibly, like, near-identical formula to popify other, like, pop forms. Like, Ua is a pop-punk track. It is all about that, like, Avril Lavigne chugging guitars and post-punky drums. Cheer Up is a drum and bass track. Um... Drum and bass being a British, like a British origin form of dance music with super fast, like 170, 180 BPM tempos, that characteristic This is a Miami bass track. So this is the bit where I get to sort of fire a couple links at you and show what Miami bass is. Um, let's see if I can find a couple examples. I want the audience to know 
I want the audience at home to know that all of my reactions are live, and I did not prepare for this at all. <laughs> so, um, first up is I'm already getting I'm already getting Lucifer flashbacks. Please continue. <laughs> Don't worry, these are far more um, far more amenable and acceptable pieces of music. I actually like them. So the first off is um, the tag teams, Whoop, there it is. Oh, I feel like I don't even need to click on it. I remember this. Oh, you just know the track. I mean, I never listened to the whole thing, but everyone knows it. There's a party over here, a party over there, wave your hands in the air, shake the dairy, yeah. These three words mean you're getting busy. Whoop, there it is, Hitman. Yeah, no, you know it in the back of your head. I've heard this on so many, like, sports broadcasts and whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the defining features are Miami Bass is a sort of, like, a particular way of producing instrumentals for hip-hop and rap that um, revolves around the 808, particularly, as a a drum machine, and this, like, skipping pattern, the dum-cha-da-dum-cha-da-dum-cha-da-dum-cha-da. That you get in the... um, in this sort of like, I call it like a gallop. Um, mm-hmm. This particular way of um, putting the beat together that's just like really like fun and bouncy. And they watch really well for these sorts of like clubby, dancey hip hop tracks. Um, and so if you know that, then you get the sort of like the most recent version of it exploding, which is Ghost Town DJ's My Boo. <laughs> and I've said it all awkward like that. Because what you really know this is, is the Running Man meme. Once I get past this beautiful and expansive introduction. Uh, the intro is actually really lovely. So, um, yeah. this is so one of the original, like, crossover R&B Miami bass tracks. And it works so beautifully well. The YouTube comments to this are a joy and delight. <laughs> I, I just want to sing along. It's such a great track. Um, but yeah, so uh, that, that as a form, um, Miami Bass sort of had a little moment just after my boo became a meme because of um, a, like a TikToky dance. Or was it Vine back then? Christ, I need to look it up. Vine Running Man was it was Vine, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Running Man challenge. Yeah, it's it's definitely Vine, isn't it? Ugh. But, um, yeah. So, uh, we had this, like, post-Harlem shaky, um, like, dance craze doing the, like, really subtle, like, shuffly dance. And I think that's sort of just a cue to the sort of, like, feel and the tone of Miami bass as a genre. It's like, this is the two poles of, like, one is, like, big party music, the other being the sort of, like, really joyous, bright, but still kind of subtle shuffle. And they're like, if you've got another back of your head, when you listen to TT, what you get is dance music-y, poppy verses, and then a, uh, a chorus, which just jumps straight into this like combination of house, like modern dance music-y bass lines, but the classic Miami bass drum beat. Mm-hmm. 
But it, it, it feels like a kind of thing that gets you to be light on your feet, right? When you're, yeah, when absolutely. You're, when you're moving to it. Um, and, and yeah, no, it's like obvious that that's not the only sound world this track is taken from because the bass line is one of those like classic house bass lines. It's got this sort of whiny top line that sounds very much more like a, like a, a West Coast hip hop line. Uh, but it's most notable in the intro where you have a line that literally could like be if what if Dr. Dre tried to produce uh, a girl group track? <laughs> Which is, and you'd end up with exactly the the synth line that comes in at like thirty seconds of the video, at least. Right, which you described to me as the unholy mix of trap, hip hop, pop. Yeah, so like this is exactly it though. You end up with like cues coming from absolutely everywhere, and the like. You get the sort of like weird West Coast hip hop reference in the in the synth lines. You get the like house bass line. You get the the like bouncy Miami bass drums. But the like mm-hmm. at its core, the track is propelled with this like four to the floor kick pattern plus some like skittery hi hats that is instantly recognizable to anyone who's listened to like any mainstream pop or indeed K-pop is like where pop has moved to like incorporate dance and hip hop and trap drums in this sort of like unholy mess that has somehow like congealed over the last five years. Mm -hmm. And like, it's, it's all really about like- Into an extremely approachable form. Yeah, incredibly. Because it's, it's taken so many elements that are so popular in other guises, like- once Despacito, once every last Justin Bieber track, once every last Katy Perry track has like gone mm-hmm. through the cycle, then what remains is the like bits and pieces scavenged from all of them together. And it sounds mm-hmm. something like the sonic backbone of every single Twice track in, to some degree. But mm-hmm. also Twice, are, as I said, are like really good at like taking form in particular from other places, like genre form from other places, and just mm-hmm. like tweaking it for their ends. Um, right. So like... Cheer Up was probably their, like, first big explosive breakout. But I much prefer TT because I think it much better achieves that synthesis that, like, I know drum and bass really well. It's a genre that I, like, went out to and danced and play records records of a load. Mm -hmm. And that I think, like, um, Cheer Up doesn't capture the spirit of drum and bass particularly well. It's, like, empty and lacks the sort of drive and... Uh, there's a that I have all sorts of weird production issues with it that it sounds kind of flat and like like you're hitting a I don't know like you're hitting the bottom of the plastic crate with a ladle and that's somehow meant to be your be your like your drums in a in this. I will say though, if you are new to trying to pick up on on production do's and don'ts, the description of do the drums sound like you have grabbed a old wash bucket and are smacking it with a wooden spoon? That's not what you want. Is a good first step. Yeah, and that sort of, like, deadness or lack of, like, punch and, like, groove is a thing that sort of, like, shone through in. And, it, like, I do think that's a thing that Twice can occasionally end up doing is they end up with this sort of, like, slightly wooden feel to the grooves of their tracks because they're, like, taking so often from either forms that they aren't super comfortable with or alternatively just, like, have played it very safe with the way they've produced, like, rhythm sections in their tracks. However, TT's amazing specifically because they absolutely nail the strum part. They nail the feel and the groove. Um, so this is just like a wonderfully fun track to like dance and bounce to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this is like 
that that's like the core skeleton of the track is like dance music verses which flow straight into these like bouncy fun energetic um right. uh choruses that are like straight up miami bass right. and the choruses are are the focus of basically every toy single yeah so this is sort of where we start to come to the sort of industrialized process of twice pop production Mm-hmm. which is that every single twice track that I can recall from the top of my head has a double chorus. And what they do is have like lyrical first section. And then restate it simplified in the second section with a point dance. And this is the thing that happens every single time. I will obviously play the clips from Titi. But um, pretty much every Twice track has this thing where it repeats the chorus again, but like um, with the vocal parts reduced to just like shouting out the chorus and doing the point dance. And like Fancy is the one that also sticks in my head. You get the sort of like rocker hand swinging across their faces and then out yeah. as the point dance as they like shout fancy you uh, at the second part of the chorus and like if if there's anything to like pull up with twice it's like oh my god they are like really good at repeating the same thing over and over again in very catchy ways um likey is another one of those tracks with a big double chorus thing the form of every twice track is near identical obviously that is just like pop structure but twice is one of those groups that like never seems to vary from it in a way that becomes like almost unnerving like (laughs) i've got to add as a songwriting thing twice seem to be really fond of major tracks that go to the form minor chord and that's just listening to the to the other two initial signals ua and um cheer up that was a thing that stuck in my head that i kept noticing that the two shared There is really like a, a, a template for a twice track. And I think like the crucial defining feature of that is the double chorus. Um, and that double chorus in this in this track is where we get the TT hand move, which is the the sort of hands pointing down in front of the eyes and the little like shimmy. But the pout. The pout yeah, is very the, important. The pout is incredibly important. The incre- expressions oh, yeah. are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like this is the, that's the space this um this track is is sitting in. Um, there are all sorts of like particularities though that I wanted to like bring up before we just like said 
oh, well, that's that's how TT works. The yeah. first is just like the general songwriting point, which is that most of the time when you think about like highly repetitious like pop choruses, you're thinking about choruses that have very little harmonic content to them and that repeat very quickly. There are like four chords in four bars and then leave it at that. Yeah. The cool thing about TT is that the chorus is an eight bar phrase and that it doesn't repeat halfway through. Okay, it repeats the section, sorry. It repeats in other ways in that it first of all has two of these eight bar sequences to make up the whole section of the chorus. And then it has a whole secondary section of the chorus with the point dance. But the like the mere fact that it's eight bars, it's a bit longer and it allows for that sort of development gives it just a bit more sort of like both melodic space to breathe because you can change the phrase over the course of that eight bars and they do in the chorus really interestingly. The other thing is that just like it lets you get into those sorts of like slightly bittersweet or um, like melancholic flavors with the harmony because that's kind of what it does like you get the in the point chorus section you get from the tt to tt ah mm. and that like somehow that genuinely reflects a, a change in the songwriting between the two halves of the two halves of the chorus phrase which i really really like i mean just a yeah dragging it back to g it's like again if these very um upbeat dancey pop tracks were 100% sugar all the time you they would be intolerable yeah, and this is this is sort of a, a trap that I think a bunch of, if not both, twice themselves occasionally. Like I have personal favourites, and TT's among them, and other tracks are not. But there are there are tracks that I think are particularly susceptible to that. So one like sort of post um, post twice uh, debut group that blew up was Momoland with the single Boom Boom, and that is one of those choruses which is literally um, two bars with four chords that are repeated over and over again. And that for me was like one of the most grating and annoying choruses, not because of its like particular badness in production style or like the visual style or anything compared to it Oh, oh, it's this song. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the- it elicits that reaction. It does elicit that reaction. It's very much just like they haven't figured out a way of complicating it at all. Which is, which is okay. I should unpack that a little bit. It's not, nece- again, not necessarily the song's quote-unquote awful or anything. It's that it has one trick and it will hammer it home into your brain, which does, in its defense, make it very catchy, but also fatigues you equally fast. Yes. And the ability for a track like that to hit 440 million YouTube views is like entirely on the basis of that, like grabbing nature. And that like, I don't think it's a fantastic platform for long term, uh, for long term success. Um, and like that can obviously be challenged. There are all sorts of groups that literally do do these like four chords, like super repetitious sequences that do massively succeed. I just don't find that it's like, a rewarding experience to go back to and that like twice for foot to their credit have enough like complexity and nuance in the songwriting even when they're being really cutesy as well as like having developed out of that exclusively cutesy space that like i still come back to twice tracks because i think there's always at least something there to for me to grab onto so yeah that's why twice are better than Murmurland. <laughs> so that's our soapbox yes that's our soapbox 
Um, you we're gonna get. I was gonna say so much flag, but also like <clears throat> we're small. Oh my god! Like I am perfectly ready for people to come back at us saying that no, Mama Land's boom, uh, boom boom is genius in whatever ways, and like you're perfectly entitled to believe that. But I disagree. I think that's fine. So the other the <laughs> other sort of like hallmark I wanted to bring up. This is something that has mm-hmm. been lent into in other places more obviously. But it is still here in TT, and I wanted to bring it up as both a thing that Twice do, and that is like turned into a new sort of vocabulary in K-pop, and that is new methods of doing vocal production. So, let me bring you to the first couple phrases after the first chorus. One by Jonghyun, and I think the other by Jisho. This is coming out of a chorus, so there needs to be something to differentiate it from the material that's come before it. And as like the usual thing to do is like, well, as twice do elsewhere, they like change the beat pattern up from what happens earlier. So like the first chorus, sorry, the first verse comes in without a kick drum. So you just get the sort of like push of the, the, the bass line and like clicks in, the, clicks in the percussion to like keep the beat. Whereas this is like the sort of like, okay, we've come out of the clubby section. So let's just keep a four to the floor kick going. And that lends the whole section this sort of like more dancey driving characteristic. And the choice in vocal production now is twofold. One is to go very heavy on the autotune. So autotune is a kind of bet noir. Autotune is a thing that people like spot on a music go like, oh, they're taking the craft and the, the, the authenticity out of pop music. And that is a bullshit take and you should go away. We, you all remember Lucifer. We were all talking about autotune there where it's achieving a purpose. And also to, in Merotic too, I think a little. We, we, we touched on that. Yeah, totally, totally. So like there are all sorts of different aesthetic ends that you could be trying to achieve with autotune. Some of it might be saving poor quality vocal performances mm-hmm. and making them more like acceptable and normal. And that's like a reasonable one and maybe one that you're, what you're really critiquing there is the inability to get a good vocal performance out. And that's like a, not a problem that's a, like right. with the like musical technique, it's a problem with the vocal performance. However, like there are a couple of like mm-hmm. vocal habits that new K-pop groups have newly gotten into that are really, really interesting. So um, the first one I'm going to say here is in, um, is in uh, Jonghyun's uh, little like phrase here which is this like very obvious like elasticity. So there used to be a thing in um in um like the classic one is going to Shaz Belin. No matter how hard I try you keep pushing me aside and I can't break through. There's no talking to you. Um, where you get laddering. And laddering is the effect where, um, because autotune can artificially pitch things to discrete steps like that are perfectly in tune, if a singer sort of slides between pitches, then you'll hear an effect where like the the vocal gets sort of artificially like like hooked onto one step in the rung in the ladder, and then you're gonna jump from rung to rung as the vocalist slides across those pitches. 
Um, if you started to relax the speed at which you did that adjustment, instead of laddering, you'd get a sort of system where you like s very smoothly slid between those pitches. And that's more what we get here. So instead of a ladder, we get mm -hmm. a sort of weird elasticity. It's still very uncanny. But that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And it's emphasized firstly by the... Um, I like, I think uh, she has an incredible tone. I just love Jong Yoon's tone. It's really bright and really sparkly. Um, and I think compares really interestingly with the other vocalists. And you get the sort of tendency of K-pop groups to start producing individual members in a particular style. Um, I think the most notable version of this for me is in BTS, actually, where I think V, mm -hmm. most notably, and then also Jimin in a different way, get like very specific vocal tics where like V gets um, uh, the like the this like close mic incredibly detailed take that often has a bit more laddering to it, and Jimin gets um, this this specific kind of elasticity um, all over the all over the place where like. Not only are you associating the sort of like actual in inverted commas real tone of the vocalist, you're getting all sorts of production techniques that get baked into your understanding of what that vocalist sounds like, and that's the thing that I think happens all the time. That Jong Yoon like has yeah. this vocal style as like one of the things that producers like to use for her, and that becomes associated with her as a singer, which I think is just really cool. And it's like a another way to add to the sort of like distinctive vocabulary that idols individually have, as well as the palette that like you can use in a track. Right, and the and the differentiation, and the differentiation of members mm -hmm. inside these very large groups, uh, and you know subtle ways to differentiate them, even within the same quote unquote like line that we've been talking about. Right, like this is, if you if you don't if you have a huge quantity of members and not all of them have like instantly recognizable distinct vocal qualities and tones, mm -hmm. which is rare, you know, um, this is one of the ways you can start. Yeah, delineating those differences. And then the second part is um, the next phrase, which I think is Jiho's, and I will double check because I don't want to get roasted. The onces are going to come for you. Yeah, I did get it right. Phew, I do know my members. <laughs> which, by the way, yeah, fan, fan, fan groups of K-pop bands, K-pop groups have specific fandom names that are given to them <laughs> once. Okay, twice as fans are called onces. That is not that bad. There are worse. Well, well, well I kind of don't want to mention the worst one. I think just just because it's just roasting them for no real reason. But uh, I mean, you feel welcome to at any other point. But you know, there's a time and yeah, place. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in Jiho's phrase, you get a different sort of thing, where you get a side chain. So a side chain is a technique there's been around all the way through audio production history. Um, it used to originally be used when, for example, radio broadcasters were trying to talk over things that were playing simultaneously. Um, and the, the thing that you're aiming to do when a radio broadcaster is trying to speak over a track is to gently duck the track behind them away so that the radio announcer could be heard and then dynamically return the track to its original level when the, the person stops speaking. And essentially what you're doing there is attaching something something like a volume reducing tool, mm -hmm. in this case, in audio, audio times it's a compressor usually, and then you're side chaining it, as in you're taking the input level based on a secondary signal. And in this case, that's the, um, the person speaking. So that when the person speaks, it triggers the volume reduction, 
and makes both of them audible on top of each other. And then you get returned to the, the music being allowed afterwards. So that's what happens if you have a very slow side chain, is you can have sort of radio announcer things. Or, you know, podcasts. Oh, yeah, exactly. This is exactly Like a the... certain music podcast that you may be listening to at this exact moment. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I make a pretty extensive use of side chains. To, um, and, or, whatever, this is podcast editing minutiae. It doesn't really matter whatsoever. Yeah, the important no. thing, um, <laughs> the important thing is when you turn the speed on that sidechain down, you get all other sorts of interesting ducking effects. So the classic one is basically nicked out of house music, particularly French house as a genre, where it started to become like the dominant stylistic thing to do, which is you sidechain um, musical element against the kick drum. So that means that when the kick drum hits, it can punch through and have a lot of space and that the music like disappears all of a sudden and then it sort of sucks back immediately. And then instead of talking over like spoken phrases, we're talking about like literally within a beat. So we're talking like half a second dips and ducks. Um, uh, and like the classic examples would all be like French house, like Daft Punk and things like that. And they become very noticeable effects. If you can hear that sucking and ducking effect, then you're, you're listening to a side chain. Yeah, I shouldn't complicate this. It's one more time. That's the one I should add. Um... Yeah. I'm not even listening to it. I'm just replaying it in my head and I know exactly what you mean. There are even more exam uh, like extreme examples popping up all over the place in modern dance music. Specifically because it's a really effective production technique to like tidy things up. Um, because it's like you want a really powerful bass line, you want really impressive splashy synthesizers, but you also want your kick to punch like mad. How do you do that? You do that by having them like hit at different points in time and get out of each other's way. And you can do that with fairly extreme side chaining. Um, so what's happening here is you're getting really extreme side chaining, but between the vocal and the kick drum. So the kick drum is like, because you've hit this more like clubby, darker section in the second, the second verse. Um, it's getting sucked behind the, um, the kick drum really, really hard. <laughs> That's a really unusual, slightly uncanny sound for most K-pop because like the whole point about lyrical singing is like make the vocal sound natural and present and really appealing. And this is just like, right. oh God, we've realized that both the aesthetic sensibilities we're drawing from like push us in different directions. Like we're drawing from a different like grab bag of um, tricks and techniques, but also that like we can achieve a sort of like different um, like mood and tone based on the ability to like keep a really driving upfront kick drum as opposed to like forcing people to concentrate on the vocal. Um, and that like, it sort of fits with the like, you have this particular visual moment of like Jiho at the end of this spooky table, not actually singing to the part that she's, um, the, the part that's happening. And that like, it sort of contributes to the sort of eeriness maybe in this like very limited way. But the like, mm -hmm. this moment in the track is meant to be the sort of like, darker, sleeker, more like driving, um, punchy bit, as opposed to the bit where it's meant to be like vocal led and expressive, 
um, and like exuberant. And that like part of that is just as much about the sort of um, production decisions as it is the like um, the like arrangement and like the choice to like take out the synths is just as important as the choice to like put the kick drums really in front of the vocals at this point in time. But yeah, like again, auto tune to out the wazoo right now. Cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm trying to think what would be a really good example of the. It was around DNA era BTS that I started like going like, whoa, you're really taking this to a new level with the with the autotune. I'm gonna see if I can like pull up a phrase that really shows it off. Yeah, God, it's just like the very first beat phrase from V in, in uh, DNA, you just get this incredibly noticeable laddering in his vocal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that just becomes a really distinctive feature of, of, of the way that his vocals get produced all the time. Oh, God, what was that? What was the one with the flute where it's just him? Help. Was it the flute? It wasn't the flute. Uh, are Shit. you thinking of um, the intro I track? I am thinking of intro serendipity. Yeah, serendipity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- so that again there is. There is no just... flute. I am so sorry. No, that's very reasonable. Um, uh, oh, that's just Jimin. No, ser- serendipity is Jimin's. What's the other one? Christ, I can't remember them. Singularity. Singularity. There we finally go. Um, so yeah, singularity. We should just talk about this very briefly. Singularity is one of my favorite, B- if not my favorite BTS. Track. I was I was gonna throw that on the list eventually, but you know, knowing our pace, that's yeah, what happened. Yeah, I mean, years we can later. mention it now, and we can always come back to it in more detail. And this has both. In fact, this has. Um, yeah. the laddering effects like you all it's always really subtle because V's a really good singer so he doesn't have much of this sliding between pitches but pretty much anywhere where he's making jumps you always hear these like tiny little inflections that push elsewhere and they're usually perfectly on pitch and perfect intermediate um, chromatic no- notes <laughs> But all the way through, what you have here is this incredibly powerful baseline and that it's being used to sidechain the entirety of the vocal against it, which means you get this like incredible pressure I'd like that's the best way to describe it. Applied by that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it it feels like really close and intense in the same way that like, oh my God, if you were at a live venue and you were standing near the speakers when the double bass is like thwacked or like really like hard played a note. And that just for a moment, the double bass took over the sound stage before as it decayed, all the players stopped it. The rest of the like treble part Mm -hmm. of the other part just came out of the speakers again. Um, it's right, but you're describing a specific moment. This whole oh, track, oh yeah, no, this, ha- like this whole track is like completely riddled through with these vocal production uh, tendencies. Yeah, 
It's a good track. We will get to it at some point. I think we're supposed to be talking about twice. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, if we can talk about the ways yeah. in which... I think the most important thing specifically is this, that, like, this kind of play with vocals has always been happening. Like, we talked extensively about um, autotune as, like, a stylistic thing in... Um, in TVXQ and Shiny and like lamented the fact that really what we wanted was R&B vocals and they were being hidden by the, the autotune and that like there was a there was a sort of like weird conflict in the aesthetic priorities what we're getting now is like a right. new vocabulary which I think is the most exciting thing that like there are certain vocal techniques like ri- either ridiculous autotune or very subtle and elastic autotune and like vocal pumping and sidechain that are like now part of the toolkit and that's a really exciting thing because um like, it's been a while since people started being on the, like, ah, oh, it's really bad that people do the do the, the autotune. It's the death of real artistry. And no, like, it's turned out to be a wonderful platform for new and, in, like, fantastically engaging types of artistry. Right. So, yeah. And it's certainly a different way of approaching vocals than we've talked about because we've been relatively uh, uh, R&B dominated in that. Yeah has a distinct style. And this like this is another huge part of modern K-pop that we just kind of haven't touched yeah, on yet. Yeah, I mean, like, pop, the, the idea that there is a singular pop vocal style is, like, clearly a misnomer, but, like, both the, like, upfront belt singing as well as the, um, the use of autotune to, like, make sure you're, like, both perfectly in key as well as, like, really punching upfront and bright is, like, completely ubiquitous. And, like, it's really exciting to see all the ways in which people manipulate or work around that and all that. So, um, there's the sort of, like, what are the other idiosyncratic things that we get here? Like, uh, hmm, sorry, it's probably the wrong way to approach this. Like, when I started thinking through examples of this, and the sort of, um, mm-hmm. the halloween nonsense going on in the video, there's this sort of, like, <laughs> like, this sort of seems to preempt, like, fast-motion TikTok-y ways of doing... God, this is really hard to express because, again, firstly, visual versus audio medium. And then secondly, like... And then also, like, completely different visual Yeah, exactly. So what I'm going to do now is just sort of um, share to you two vines... Not fucking vines. Vines been dead for years. Um, You can see all my head stuck. Two TikToks. And just, like, see if you can see what I mean in terms of the similarity of the, like... So what I'm basically arguing is that there's a sort of like a kind of like hyper real or caricature um, element to the the way in which people use these elements, these elements like um, uh, autotune and sidechaining to create this sort of like oh like hyper saturated like dense um, and like uh, uh, like unrealistic in mm, again hyper real is the way I used to describe it in terms of like absurd amounts of detail and clarity and brightness that would never be achieved in normal context, but feel like they're accentuating real, in inverted commas, parts of the expression and performance. So. I just got to say, I love all of these uh, Vine TikTok name slip-ups because we were 100% showing our age. Oh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> I promise I live on TikTok too. <laughs> Unfortunately for you, I don't really have strong ones, at the end, and that's kind of why I'm not on TikTok. Ah, uh, damn it. Uh, I, was hoping, I, know, I was hoping I'd get a, uh, a, a strong one. So the two uh, TikToks I linked were both by Jaden Kroos, who is a, I think, a Ruben 
Dutch. Um, TikTok like celeb. Um, alongside his brother, I think. Um, and they are an edit of the... What the fuck was this track called? Like, The original was this like, Russian performer with the famous... and people will recognize it because it's a meme. Mm -hmm. um, and the other is a uh, like a video over the top of a Tomska I Baked You a Pie track. I baked you a pie. Oh boy, what flavor? Pie, pie, pie. Dad, I'm hungry. Pie hungry, I'm dad. Why did you name me this way? Why, why, why? Um, and basically what they're doing is they're recording themselves usually in double speed. Um, they're like playing the track back at half time, performing to the track at half time, and then speeding it up. So what you're getting is like movement that looks like it's being done by a Sims character. Um, mm -hmm. It's like hyper real in that like, it is clearly natural movements, but they are done in hyper, hyper unnatural ways and like over accentuated and caricatured ways that like, are more gestural and more accentuated than the real thing, while also clearly being associated with like actual human bodies doing an action. And that like, I tried to do some reading about hyperrealism as a like a, an artistic movement and the the sort of like hyperreal photography. This is where our brains stop. Yeah, no, this, this is exactly it. That like, there's a there's a weird sort of like interplay between hyperrealism as like photorealism as like what's the sort of detail that you can capture if you took the most incredibly detailed photo, photo of a skyline and like the three, the, the what should be an artistic smudge actually being like perfectly captured window from three miles away into someone's apartment where they're cooking dinner versus hyper... Yeah, the answer is that that's uncanny shit <laughs> and our brains do not react well to it. No. You, I mean, like, I'm sure we've all seen one of those like hyper real, like super high res photography and it's it's actually very disconcerting in the same way that something that's not quite real enough is disconcerting. Exactly. And th this sort of like, you know, that you're coming into the other side of the uncanny valley where like too much detail and too much like accuracy and too much like saturated content is captured in the performance when, whether it's photograph or vine or movement performance such that it stops, right. it stops looking. Yeah. Like it starts becoming more gestural than it is real. And that that's like a thing that I feel is going on in the sort of vocal performance here. That like we've moved away from the realm of like the attempts to, to be natural and sort of like there's a <laughs> like I'm laughing at myself as I say it. There's a sort of like acknowledgement of this sort of like a postmodern cleavage between sign and signify that there was never like a real in inverted commas vocal performance. You weren't sitting in the room with the vocalist mm. when they were giving the take. Of course it was produced. But now there's an acknowledgement that you can take control of that process of production. You can take control of it to do heightened things with right. it. And that, um, like that production is not like a necessary evil or whatever. It is its own yeah, facet of the process. Yes, exactly. Right. It's its own facet and, and necessary part of the mm -hmm. process. And that frees you up to do honestly very interesting things. Yeah. Uh, when you're no longer trying to chase realness or authenticity or immediacy or any of those kinds of things as your barometer for what's 
what makes a vocal performance good or what makes a vocal production good. Uh, it lets you do a lot of more fun things that uh, it's why I listen to pop now. Yeah, exactly. That um, as soon as you like acknowledge that there was nothing authentic to begin with, um, yeah. then the, there's like all sorts of space to experiment in the process of like very deliberate production. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's fun. At the same time, like it's also an interesting. Oh, no, sorry, I was go gonna tangent, so you should finish. No, please oh. do, please do. Uh, my other tangent was that it is it is interesting because like, did we talk about this? I think I'm getting confused because we've talked about it a lot, but it's not on the pod yet. Um, we'll get around to it. Uh, but things like we've talked about like social media, you know, having an enormous impact. Oh, we did in the Blackpink contest. Yeah, a little bit, but. You'll see where I'm going. But we, we talked about social media having an, an enormous impact on the K-pop industry, specifically on, like, interaction between fans and idols. But also, it's worth thinking about how the aesthetics and the kind of... the qualities of social media... Like, media produced for social media platforms mm -hmm. has its own special character and has its own set of aesthetics and has its own sort of standards for what qualifies as good or bad or you know like you know like there's like a youtuber style like there's a particular style of talking at a camera that is associated with youtubers and there's a particular style of talking to the camera that's associated with i guess well yeah vine back in the day and there isn't a specific style of addressing cameras associated with tiktok and they're all different even though they all should be just looking at a camera and talking and then in that sense uh, we are now seeing kind of like pop industries taking those aesthetics, like taking what is, you know, what's a bright, happy concept. Their sources are now drawing from things like TikTok, drawing from things like viral kind of snippets and videos and these kinds of things. And I think what you're pointing at, interestingly, is that there's a way in which they're doing this for vocal uh, production. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. I say we'll get to it because we're going to talk about Noir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is just like, Noir is my two-hour listen to me talk about this bullshit show. Like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we're excited about that one, I think, for obvious reasons. But there is, it happens on both, yeah. like, the textual and the sort of aesthetic level. Like, on the textual level, like, mm. people have to just do different things. Like, the work looks different when you're catering to a different audience because the formats are different and the things that get responses are different and the standards and expectations are different. But then also it... I'm really excited to start putting in the vertical version MVs for, for songs once yeah. we get around to the really new stuff. <laughs> Where they're, where they're, like, directly addressing the fact that, like, oh, you're not watching this on, like, a, a, a TV or even a monitor anymore. You're doing it on a phone with a vertical orientation. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's but, great. yeah, it's, it's those things we'll that, there. like, the form and the necessary shifts in form dictate the content to some degree and change its communicative quality, like, to, to, to like, borrow mm -hmm. the, the very obvious McLuhanism. But then also that, like, the aesthetic values that get both embodied but then also valued and, like continued and propagated like start shifting because both again new platforms develop new norms but like things work differently like the aesthetic experience yeah. when you're on one platform versus another is just different like it like for all sorts of all, all sorts of reasons whether it's just like how you approach it they're like effective experience of going to youtube versus like pop something popping up on your instagram feed versus like waiting in the waiting in the stream room in the in the waiting room of a v live app or something like that i was gonna say like 
MTV or Mnet, I guess, in this oh, case. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's, like, not even on our radar, so that should tell yeah, you Yeah, exactly. As in, we're, we're, like, on at the point where both, as international fans, we're not getting broadcast live of the um, of the TV shows. And then also, like, right. I'd, like we don't... Obviously, they're still influential in their, in their own way, but, like, clearly so much of the industry has dispersed out to other platforms that are in, within their control or, or within different kinds of control or more vertically integrated and things yeah. like that. Yeah. We've talked for a long time, mm-hmm. um, but I would like to wrap this by talking about this Halloweeny nonsense yeah. because it like the first time I watched this video, and <laughs> it, you should absolutely watch the music. There is also a Japanese music video, but I think it's quite apparent that that was done on a lower budget with a bit of, with a much faster turnaround. The Japanese music video is basically like RNG summer pastel concepts. That's really it. They're at a outdoor drive-in cinema eating popcorn while singing. It's pretty simple. The Korean one, though, Hell yeah. have they've gone all uh, I again, I am glad to report that since Merotic, uh, glass breaking <laughs> CGI has advanced, you know, just by leaps and bounds. Do you uh, want to give a, a timestamp shout out for that, for that glass break? Oh, uh, no, I'm not going to do a timestamp shout out because I'm going to turn it into the clip for Perfect. the, <laughs> yeah, that's just going to be the accompanying clip for the tweet when, when this episode goes out. Um, uh, but when I first watched it, I was like, wait, what the hell is going on? Why is there, like, a creepy Halloween house? And the conceit is that they're trick-or-treating and the Twice members are just, like, your favorite knockoff, like, with the Disney characters, but with all the serial numbers. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, which, like, and the only way I can really explain it, essentially, is that, like, this is a late October release. It was released October 23rd, the music video. So this is like a week off from Halloween. And it's just like maximum, like if you take Halloween, you sort of divorce from any idea of spookiness and kind of turn it, crank the knob of commercialization all the way up to Christmas levels. (laughs) Which is where it is kind of in East Asia because there's not that There's not the tradition of of a Christian tradition. Like obviously there's a powerful Christian tradition especially in South Korea, but the history looks really different. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more recent, for one. And the ways in which it kind of... Uh, the ways in which religion and sort of, like, everyday public life intertwine looks very different. And, look, basically, long story short, Christmas is just 100% sales, 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 sales. And I guess so is Halloween now, thanks, Twice. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it, again, it's it's not exactly you like our own Halloween. You just candy and dress yeah. up, all right? It's, it's like, it's fun. what do kids want to dress up for Halloween? Do they want to dress up as, like a ghoul from a horror story, but, or like a vampire, or do they want to dress up as like Tinkerbell? In which case, like, it's quite clear that the sort of imagination for both fantasy and horror has just been like entirely Disneyified in our consciousness, which is just like a really nice commentary on like, how do you do a a Halloween girl group release? You obviously have ready to hand this entire vocabulary of, um, of like Disney, of like pseudo Disney character, characters to draw from and so yeah very obviously you get momo yeah. as tinkerbell uh you get minna right. as uh, like a pirate of the caribbean in a big dramatic romantic painting i love uh, that you get jung yon while she's doing her autotune vocals doing this pinocchio act which is really adorable which fits so well but again yeah, fits incredibly it, well it, and that's probably like why with the whole movement thing that i went straight towards like mm-hmm. tiktok bullshit yeah uh jihyo being Definitely not a, a Disney princess. Mm. 
all of these things. Yeah. I mean, so I guess that 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 qualifies us for the fine stand ontology tradition of bragging on their costumes at oh, the I end. I mean, what else are you going to do? But, uh, I mean, at the very, very least, like... How else are you supposed to end yeah, these things? Yeah, like, both how are you supposed know. to end them? And, like, we've got past the stage where the costumes are routinely objectionable, and now we just get to sort of comment yeah. on the visual culture generally. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't think we've got any, like, obviously, like, whack costumes lined up anytime soon, which is probably a good thing. Yeah... We've moved on. We'll come back. I'm to sure there will be a moment. I mean, like the the mullet, the mullet is eternal, and we will stumble on one oh, soon. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you want to talk about aesthetic stylings, tune in for next episode. Ah, uh, yeah, we're going back into back into the the uh... back into the time vortex. So let's leave it off there. This has been. Stan Ontology. <laughs> that was episode eight. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at Stan Ontology. We can keep track of what we're up to and get updates whenever we put an episode out. Yep. We are on iTunes. Please consider dropping a uh, review and a rating. Look, I'm, I, I have no iTunes. I haven't used a single Apple product for years. I don't know how iTunes work. <laughs> <laughs> So it makes it makes doing these like please help us bump up our SEO thing like even more awkward than it already yes, is. Neither I I've managed to, to get us on iTunes without ever having to install it as a program. <laughs> I have no idea whether we're doing horrendous or we're doing magnificently or whether we've got like zero star reviews from trolls who like don't like the way we talked about twenty one's hairdos or something. I don't know. <laughs> Look, I'm at this point. I'm certain that our listeners know better than we do how you're supposed to do the yeah, whole engagement entirely. thing. So please go do the engagement thing for us on whichever podcasting platform you found us. Thanks. Excellent. Um, you can find me on Twitter at regression with three S's. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Claudia W Y Low. And we will catch you in two weeks' time. Thank you for listening. <laughs>